You're listening to a lonely gay boy and his co-host discuss horror movies and not the good ones. A horror enthusiast podcast in which me, a lonely gay boy, and my co-host discuss horror movies and not the good ones. Thanks for tuning in, new friend. Welcome back to the show. If you missed last week, my co-host and I talked all things Netflix's The Open House. Well, it wasn't that well, it wasn't that great, but we had a good time talking about it, didn't we? Yes. Why, well, I, I have exciting news. I'm all ears. I settled on a new name to go by, a new nickname. Uh, from now on, uh, you can call me Fraser Brendan Smith. As in actor Brendan Fraser, only backwards? No, I'm a huge fan of Kelsey Grammer and, and Brendan Gleeson, so I thought Fraser Brendan Smith was fitting. Uh, who, who's this Brendan Fraser guy? Oh, he's a very likable actor who starred in several films throughout the 90s. Then he disappeared from the limelight, but has had a, a bit of a career resurgence as of late. People have really rallied behind him, and from where I'm sitting, rightfully so. Okay. Well, I guess I gotta change my name again. Well, this, this sucks. Before we get into this week's movie, which I'm eager to hear your thoughts on, well, how was your week? Fine. Well, this is the part of the show where we're supposed to have playful banter, uh, so I'm, I'm gonna need more than just fine. Of course. Well, it was a rather typical week for me, really. At midnight Monday, I took peyote and I had visions of my ancestors warning me that death has begun to stalk me. <laughs> well, I came to Thursday morn and nearly missed my book club. We read Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. I did not care for that ending. Afterwards, we went swimming and... I killed a few bottles of red wine just to get straight again. Friday, I rearranged my living room, painted my fence black, and finally got back to Princess Anne and our email chain. Last night, I watched this week's film and took copious notes so that we can discuss in full. And here we are. Yeah, same for me pretty much. Uh, Monday, I basically sat alone in my room. And Tuesday, I went out for a walk alone. Uh, Wednesday, I, I thought about masturbating, so I did five times. Not a record. Thursday, I drank a lot of water. I spent most of Friday looking through popular people's Instagram and, and Facebooks and Twitters and, and wishing I could be more like them. Saturday, I made a salad and watched this week's movie. A salad, you say? Oh my, you are full of surprises. <coughs> Fuck Knuckles! That is the most alarming sound. Well, okay, listener, you know what that sound means. 
It's time for improv games. You've got to be kidding me. Well, I never kid about improv, you son of a bitch. Uh, this week, we're going to play the, uh, the traveling alphabet game. The point is that we go in, in rounds, even though it's just the two of us, and we got to add on what we're taking, and we go through the alphabet. So, okay, I will start the improv game uh, now. Well, I'm going to Paris, so I'm packing an apple. I'm going to Paris, so I'm packing an apple and a bicycle. When I'm going to Paris and I'm packing an apple and a bicycle and a cool cat. Well, I'm going to Paris and I'm packing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, and a didgeridoo. Well, I'm going to Paris and I'm packing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, a didgeridoo, and an eggplant. I'm going to Paris, and I'm packing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, a didgeridoo, an eggplant, and forgiveness for playing improv games. Well, I'm going to Paris, and I'm, I'm, I'm packing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, a didgeridoo, an eggplant, forgiveness for playing uh, improv games, even though they're really cool, and a greyhound. I'm traveling to Paris, and I'm packing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, a didgeridoo, an eggplant, forgiveness for playing improv games, a greyhound, and... Come on, come on, come on. Uh, and a horticulturalist. Well, I'm traveling to Paris, so I'm bringing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, a didgeridoo, an eggplant, a forgiveness for playing improv games, a greyhound, a horticulturalist... And an igloo. I'm traveling to Paris, and I'm bringing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, a didgeridoo, an eggplant, a for forgiveness for playing improv games, a horticulturalist, an igloo, and a jackass. Oh, I thought you would have screwed up by now. All right, I'm, I'm traveling to Paris, and I'm bringing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, a didgeridoo, an eggplant, a forgiveness for playing improv games, a greyhound, a horticulturalist, an egg, igloo, a jackass, and a, uh, a king's crown. Of course. Let's see. I'm, I'm traveling to Paris. I'm bringing an apple, a bicycle, a cool cat, a didgeridoo, an eggplant, Forgiveness for playing improv games, a, a greyhound, a horticulturalist, an igloo, a jackass, a king's crown, and the moon. <laughs> you, you, you stupid son of a bitch. You, you screwed up because L was next, not M. <laughs> you you, you could have said uh, a, a lunar, lunar eclipse, but, but you, you fucked it up, so I win. <laughs> Screw, screw you, buddy. Right then. So that was the last improv game we ever play. Good to know. Well, that sound officially means it's the end of improv. <laughs> didn't, didn't we add fun? Yeah. Well, now that that's taken care of, it's time we start talking about this week's movie. We're traveling back in time to 1955 to watch Ed Wood's classic Bride of the Monster. Led Wood was a transvestite war hero who dreamed of making blockbuster sci-fi horror movies. 
Well, unfortunately, he wasn't any good at movie making, but he sure tried really hard. So we're going to celebrate his work. Well, shouldn't we talk Plan 9 from Outer Space, since that's often cited as the worst horror movie of all time? Well, e everybody else is already talking about that one, uh, and I want to celebrate lesser-known uh, bad movies. And also, if we decide to do a second season of A Lonely Gay Boy and his co-host discuss horror movies and not the good ones, well, then we can plan on doing Plan 9 then, because cause that's sort of a sequel to this one, and I like to cover series uh, in order. Good God, how is Plan 9 a sequel to this trash? We'll get into that next season, if we do a second season. No, no promises. Well, note to the listener... The original movie was in black and white, and I had an old DVD of it, but, but there's a higher definition version that's been colorized, and that's what we watched. Uh, normally, I prefer the original black and white, as that was part of the creator's vision, but... But Edward didn't have a vision. <laughs> black and white film stock is simply cheaper than color. This is why Kevin Smith shot Clerks that way. Yeah... Good old Ed Wood would have shot in color if he could have. <laughs> try, try saying that five times fast. Good old Ed Wood would have shot in color if he could have. <laughs> yes, that is fun to say. We start with the end credits. Well, that's it, folks. Good night. <laughs> yeah, you wish. Well, this was before Marvel made people stick around for the credits, uh, so they had to put them before the movie. So people would know uh, who the camera operator and who the electrician was. In this case, Bert Shipman and Lewis Kreiger, respectively. I told you I took copious notes. Well, there's this mansion at night and, and this tremendous storm. It's all thunder and lightning and all that. So we meet these two hunters, and they're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and for some reason, the actors are just, like, rubbing their coats uh, and their chests and necks. It's super unnatural. I imagine the direction was, act as if you're in a shower. And so they pantomimed lathering themselves up, as one does. Well, they decide to seek shelter in the old Willow's house, even though it's supposed to be home uh, to a monster. And, and also deserted. When they knock on the door, and instead of Riff Raff letting them in, it's Bella Lugosi, and he won't let them in. So he, he calls Lobo in from right off screen to scare them off by standing there and raising his arms over his head. Lobo here is some sort of mad scientist assistant slash monster. It's, it's very unclear. And also, I'm not sure why he's dressed like a 400-pound Aladdin. Well, Lobo tries to follow Bella up to his lab, but Bella shoes him off. When Bella puts on a lab coat, he looks out a window at a dark shot of an octopus in a tank. It, it's real awkward. Uh, then he flips on some switches, and he goes back to gazing longingly at the stock footage of the octopus. The layout of this mansion is very confusing. It's a dilapidated old house. Bella goes up to the secret laboratory, and there has a, he has a window that looks out into the bottom of the lake. I, I guess so. 
the hunters are running away, thinking Lobo's the monster. Uh, but then, but then the octopus grabs one, and the the poor poor actor has to pretend that a limp octopus puppet is killing him. The other actor doesn't fare much better, since Lobo grabs him and he has to continue acting in this film. Yeah. Okay, so we're seven minutes into this movie, and already nothing makes sense. Why does Bella send them away, then immediately have Lobo kidnap one of them? Why is there even an octopus when Lobo could do uh, everything that it does? N nobody knows. So Bella welcomes the hunter and says he's glad to have a guest and that Lobo is mute. And then, then he slaps Lobo around for being too rough with the hunter. Bella's motivation changes as quickly as Two-Face flipping a coin. Well, Bella shines a light on the hunter, claiming his procedure will either make him a giant strongman, or, you know, dead like all the others. And since the movie's budget couldn't afford Captain America's super serum, the poor hunter dies. Bella and Lobo look genuinely upset that they've just murdered a man, even though Bella gleefully had his octopus kill the other one. So then Bella waxes poetic about their friend, the octopus. Well, then we get old-timey newspaper shots proclaiming that the monster strikes again and that the monster takes two. So, so apparently the hunters are presumed dead and this monster got them? I guess so. Well, we cut to a police station and meet Officer Kelton, a somewhat flamboyant desk cop who's booking a vagrant. He's an unlikable psychophant who insists on sucking up to the captain, who, it turns out, has a small parrot on his desk? Why? 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 So the captain tells Kelton to go get the lieutenant. Then we get a solid minute of the captain waiting alone in his office with his parrot. Why, why would you film this and not edit it out? Look, this movie barely clocks in at 68 minutes. You can't start trimming scenes for pacing. So the captain and Lieutenant Dick, they chat about the case of the dead hunters, and it turns out that Dick's girlfriend is a newspaper reporter who's been sensationalizing the rash of missing persons. There's been 12 in three months. Right on cue, the reporter shows up and reveals that she never took an acting class. I just realized that Kelton is supposed to be the comic relief. He is not. And we learn that Dick and Lois aren't just dating, they're engaged. And she is pissed off that he's been keeping details of an active investigation away from her. So the captain, he plays couples counselor and swiftly fixes their relationship problems. <laughs> he sure does. And this is a scene that someone wrote and quote-unquote professional actors performed for us. The captain is sure there's a rational explanation, but Lois is gung-ho that it's a monster, so she threatens to head out to Lake Marsh herself. Well, the men forbid her from going, but she just sort of leaves, then the guys laugh about how she probably would go anyway. Well, we follow Lois as she goes to the newspaper archives and she chats up the file clerk who has a near-perfect memory of a real estate story about Bella's mansion from seven years ago. 
Lois gets the old story out of the files and orders the file clerk to call her fiancé and cancel their date with a flimsy lie. This is what I was expecting the file clerk to tell her that's not part of her job. But no. Well, on her way out, Lois talks to a co-worker just to sort of reiterate the, the flimsy plot that we've been watching so far. And the two of them, they stand awkwardly and deliver their lines like a bad school play with even worse writing. Well, here, I'll, I'll snag a clip from this masterpiece. Still on the monster hunt? What do you think? I think the boss has been looking for you all day. Something about the police wanting those monster stories 86. You've got the whole town in a panic. I didn't hear you. I said I know what you said, but I didn't hear you. I get it. See you later. As it turns out, Lois is the only character in this movie who has any sort of conviction and doesn't change her mind without any sort of rationalization. But back at the police station, this German professor shows up and he, and he tells the captain and, the, and Dick that he's an expert on prehistoric monsters. And he's worked with European police looking into the Loch Ness Monster. Well, he thinks the local swamp sightings are connected. So the captain, who has been up to this point sure there's no monster, brings him on board the investigation. Uh, then the captain orders Dick to escort the professor up to the swamp in the morning. Well, Dick's on his way out for his hot date, uh, but then the captain tells him that Lois canceled. So Dick threatens to beat his fiancée if she's going to the swamp alone at night. Well, another storm is brewing, and the captain just, he just, he just chuckles at all the light-hearted misogyny. Well, thanks to the storm, Lois crashes the car near the swamp, where she gets out and faints at the sight of a snake. So, Lobo, of all people, he, he shows up and he brings her to Bella's lab. Just when you think a transvestite director actually has a streak of, of feminism in his film by showing that the men are moronic, he makes the woman crash her car and faint. Well, Lois wakes up to find Bella hovering over her. He, he stumbles a line, starts over, you know, like many actors do, but they kept it all in. Then he hypnotizes Lois to sleep in a clear ripoff of his Dracula role from decades earlier. It's clear that Ed Wood sure did love Bella Lugosi, and Bella Lugosi sure was a fantastic, silent film actor years earlier when he was a healthy man. Unfortunately, this Bella is only a few years away from death and does not hold the commanding presence that the role requires. Well, Dick and Marty, because now there's a character named Marty in the movie, well, they drive out to the swamp and park at a fork in the road so they can get out and have a cigarette break while they voice over a long panning shot of a swamp. But it's probably just stock footage. You know, swamps are evil things, full of death, basically. Oh, and the professor was a no-show at the police station? Well, then they abruptly get back in the car and drive until they find Lois's crashed car. Why are they just talking about the professor now? Why do they get out for a smoke break? Why, why, why? Well, nobody, not even the writer, knows. Well, since there's no sign of Lois, they decide to drive to a coffee joint ten miles away and see if anyone knows anything. 
Meanwhile, the professor drives out alone to the swamp. And, you know, we, we just don't know why I didn't meet the cops earlier. Well, Dick and Marty, they get to a gas station, and they call in to the captain for an update. Well, you know, no one's had any sign of Lois, so Dick and Marty, they just drink some coffee, and, and they decide they'll look for the professor. Meanwhile, uh, the captain and his parrot call the newspaper to figure out where Lois was going. Although she, she told them she was going to the swamp, and they found her car. So, so what's the point of asking her boss where she went to? There is none. So Bella and Lobo, they bring Lois some food, and Lobo seems smitten with Lois. So Bella whips him. Although Lobo's being whipped in the back, he, he covers his face as he storms out of there. And Bella chuckles to Lois, like that's all just perfectly normal. Oh? You're going to tell me you don't regularly whip your mute manservant? So Bella and Lois, they have this casual conversation about him buying the mansion and moving here. And Bella explains away Lobo's bizarre nature by saying he's French-Canadian. I suppose we can add racism to the misogyny? Sure, why not? Well, we get another close-up shot of Bella doing his hypnotism to put Lois to sleep. Uh, even though she's not, she's not struggling or nothing. But I guess they just wanted to have some... They want to give Bella something to do. The professor, he arrives outside the mansion like Dr. Scott coming to Frankenfurter's castle. And he just sort of lets himself in. The Loch Ness police might have allowed that, but he's breaking all sorts of American laws. I've spent time in Scotland, and let me tell you, they do not look kindly on breaking and entering. <laughs> well, well, there you have it. There's no excuse. <laughs> what were you doing in Scotland, by the way? Turn off these microphones, and I'll tell you. Wow! That, that was a great story. Well, back to the Bride of the Monster, which, which is not a great story. So Bella finds the professor, and it turns out that they're old buddies. Uh, the professor's been tracking Bella across the globe. The professor is from some sort of vaguely European government, and they want Bella to come back for them. And they're going to give him all the bells and whistles and frills that living in a swamp won't give him. Did you notice that the professor, he blinks about a thousand times a minute while Bella monologues to him, demonstrating that he's as bored in this movie as I was watching it. Yeah, Bella, he, he's too vengeful and pissed off that he was exiled 20 years ago. He won't accept the olive branch. The, the, the professor offers Bella the chance to come home. And, and Bella rebukes him, even though we can see in his eyes he, he's really torn up about it. Is it worth noting the backstory doesn't really make much sense? Bella was kicked out of Europe 20 years ago for trying to make a master race, but now they want him back to make a master race. And that's just one more beat that hits the Rocky Horror Picture Show playbook. If this was a musical... This is where they'd be singing, I'm going home. Or, more accurately, I'm not going home. <laughs> yeah. Cause I've seen blue skies 
through the tears in Lobo's eye. Now I realize I'm not going home. I'm not going home. I, I suppose that's not quite as catchy as, as the original version. Well, well, hi there, listener. It's Fraser Brandon Smith here, or at least until I come up with a better online handle. Well, it's that time in a show when I interrupt myself and my co-host to bring you an ad break. So, so this is it. This is the ad break. In three, two, one. Read a fucking newspaper. Yeah, that, that's right. This episode is brought to you by print journalism. You, you don't have to stare at screens all day, you know. You, you can learn about current events. How else are you going to know if there's a monster in your local swamp murdering people by the score? Also, when, when you're done with the newspaper, you can use it to produce origami or make paper mache art projects or line your parrot's bird cages or all sorts of things. Yeah, newspapers. Well, okay, that's it. That was the ad break. Well, I thought it went okay. Uh, yeah. So, please like and share and comment on this episode of the podcast. Even though it may not seem like you're doing all that much. Ratings, when you rate podcasts, it boosts their influence on the algorithms. So more people might find them. Because we're all slaves to the algorithms now. Well, unlike me, I assume you, you have some friends. So please tell them to give us a listen. Uh, but if you don't want to do any of that, I understand. It can feel daunting trying to engage with content creators or even trying to reach out to strangers or, or casual acquaintances online. Sometimes you just think, well, what's even the point of it? Is a virtual conversation even real? Does anything I do even matter? Well, okay, back to the show. So Bella, he refuses the professor's offer, and the professor pulls a gun on him. But luckily for Bella, uh, he's got Lobo, who grabs the professor and forces him up to the lab and into the squid's dark, swampy room. Well, I just feel bad that while Bella monologues, the poor man playing the professor has to pretend that a large puppet is killing him. Yeah, that can't be easy, pretending an inanimate squid puppet is murdering you. Meanwhile, outside, Dick and Marty find the professor's car, so of course they decide to split up because it's getting dark, and that's what intelligent homicide detectives do. So Marty drives off while Dick hoofs it to the mansion. I appreciate that before he leaves, Marty makes a point to give Dick a tan coat, so he'll look even more like a dime store Dick Tracy. I mean, yeah, I would be surprised at this point if Ed Wood didn't name Dick after Dick Tracy. But, I mean, who who doesn't love a good dick? <laughs> uh, this... Uh, sorry. That's quite all right. 
my boy. So Dick takes a few steps into the swamp when he falls into a pit of quicksand, I think. Well, it's mostly just a hole in the ground with leaves and branches. Well, and he's pretty nonplussed about it until he sees stock footage of an alligator coming his way. Yeah, I'm not sure it's supposed to be quicksand. Just a normal pit in a swamp? Uh, either way, he shoots at the alligator and misses, and then just sort of pulls himself out and, and runs away. So my question is, what is the point of this scene? Well, tension, or, or terror, or just because Ed Wood had some decent stock footage of an alligator. Sure. Well, also, meanwhile, the captain is finally without his trusty parrot when he checks out the newspaper archives and chats up the feisty archivist, who is genuinely kind of funny. Well, I agree wholeheartedly. This actress playing the archivist seems to get the B-horror movie vibes and does a great job playing a memorable character in her two scenes. It's a rare turn for an Ed Wood character. Well, I do like that she says that she can't remember to the second when Lois left yesterday, but she came around 2 and left around 3.30. Well, we saw the whole scene and it lasted about 5 minutes, not 90. Also, the paper from 1948 that Lois pulled out is still sitting on the filing cabinet because the archivist hasn't had time to put it away since yesterday afternoon. Well, she's a busy lady. She can't be expected to spend all her time in the archives put, putting away archives, can she? She's got to clip out newspaper clippings. Well, there's this awkward fade to the same room, and the captain's calling someone to ask for information on Bella since he bought the Willow's house. The reason for the awkward fade has to be because they didn't shoot a shot of the cop walking to the phone, and so they had to insert a fade to cover up a shooting mistake. It is not effective. So, also double meanwhile? Well, Bella's plays with some dials in his lab, and he does his patented Dracula hand motions to physically summon Lois to him. Well, Lois comes in and she's in a trance, and she's wearing a wedding dress, and Lobo is very smitten. Okay, so we're 50 minutes into the movie, and there's about 18 left. And I'm just now figuring out why it's called Bride of the Monster. So, Lois is the bride, and she's going to either marry Lobo or an octopus. Still unclear there. Well, so was Ed Wood, I'm sure. So Dick reaches the mansion, and he just lets himself in. No knocking, nothing. You know, like trained police detectives are likely to do. But his hunch is right. And he finds Lois's purse, I think. Well, then we see that Lobo hesitates to strap Lois to a chair. So Bella whips him. That's when Dick happens to find a manila folder downstairs that's full of old Bella Lugosi headshots. And he discovers the secret entrance to the laboratory. I have to say, I enjoy when films incorporate uh, you know, old photos of actors into the 
the character's backstory, even if it's blatantly old headshots. It, it's a fun nod. Yeah. So Lois starts to come to and mutely struggles while Bella and Lobo get ready to turn her into the Bride of the Atom. Well, that's the Bride, I guess. They're, they're using super atomic power, so the monster is, is the Atom. So she, she's the bride, bride of the Monster means Bride of the Atom, I, I guess. Ah, uh, I didn't realize Edward was attempting a political statement. <laughs> well, Dick, he gets to the laboratory with his gun in hand, but Lobo knocks him out, then drags the poor actor away by the head. Having Tor Johnson drag you across the set by the head cannot be comfortable. Well, that's when the captain and a squad car full of cops who think they're in a clown car meet Marty at the beach. Well, time is of the essence, and, and they're going to storm the mansion. Only first the captain has to warn Kelton that it's his first time out, so not to mess things up. <laughs> what does that even mean? It's Kelton's first time out. He's a uniformed police officer, and this is the first time he's been allowed out of the station? I, I guess so. So Bella has Dick chained up by the octopus window, and it's finally time to experiment on Lois and turn her into a superwoman. Well, the tension between Bella and Lobo is thick. Lobo definitely has one of the stronger performances in this film. Without any silly dialogue, he has to emote uh, by his face and, and grunt. Uh, perhaps if Ed Wood stripped everyone of their dialogue and shot them all like cavemen, this would have been a blockbuster film. Well, I, I don't think so. Well, the moment Bella turns his back, Lobo raises his arms and screams. So Bella shoots Dick's gun at him several times, but that doesn't phase Lobo, because he's French-Canadian, I guess. So Lobo knocks Bella out and then frees Lois. Is Lobo a Superman? Has Bella experimented on him or not? I, I just need to know these things. Well, we'll never ever know. So Lois retrieves Dick's gun and frees Dick, while Lobo painfully, slowly drags old man Bella Lugosi across the set and then straps him into the equipment in Lois's place. What a twist! Well, Dick decides Lobo shouldn't experiment on Bella for reasons. So he shoots Lobo, but Lobo don't care. They wrestle, and Lobo, Lobo tears off Dick's shirt and knocks him out. Then Bella comes to as the equipment is turned on, and Lobo cries over Bella. I guess Bella thinks it's gonna kill him, but uh, I don't think it's gonna. So the captain and the police squad arrive at the mansion. Well, Kelton watches the door, and, and the captain and Marty, they burst inside. At this point, Bella mostly checks out of the movie as an obvious body double of him, breaks free of his bonds and throws Lobo around the set until the equipment catches fire. Well, now he's Super Bella, 
and he takes Lois, while the captain and Marty see smoke and they flee from the building. Kelton nonchalantly notices Superbella carrying Lois through the swamp, and the cops only decide to chase after them when Dick shows up. Lightning strikes the mansion, and the whole place goes up in blazes. You have to love Kelton's reaction to seeing a super-powered old man carrying his co-worker's fiancé across the swamp. It's sort of a, huh, well, that thing's happening over there, but I'm over here. Well, Super Bella sets Lois down and walks up a hill for no discernible reason other than to give a half a dozen policemen a clear shot at him. Well, he's all super-powered, so the bullets, they do nothing. The entire execution of Superbella does not work. They've got a frail old man and are trying to pass him off as a super-powered master race mutation, but we're just seeing a frail old man on screen. No disrespect to Bella Lugosi, who's a legend for a reason, but I'm sure he was excited for the work and happy to have the part to play, even written for him. But it's just bad. But no disrespect? No disrespect. Kelton somersaults down the hill chasing after Superbella, and the captain just shakes his head. Well, that's pretty awesome, because Kelton's a damn fool. And finally, Dick tears off his shredded shirt, so we get a beefcake shot of him, and he pushes a massive boulder towards Superbella. Well, that topples him into the shallow water that's drawn the octopus, and, and Superbella struggles with the octopus until they're both struck by lightning, which blows both of them up. Yes, blown up in stock footage of a giant mushroom cloud that should kill everyone in a five-mile radius, but all these people are just fine. Yeah, it's called plot armor. So, so the captain gets the final line while Lois and Dick cling to each other like Brad and Janet. He says, He tempered in God's domain. The end. <laughs> yes, of course. It's a line that's meant to sum up and create some sort of... Oh, fuck me, sideways. Well, that sound means it's the end of our show. Can't you use a less obtrusive sound effect? And shouldn't you use a different sound effect while we're at it for each different segment? No. So I'm done talking about Bride of the Monster. I, I think we pretty much covered everything. Not even the tip of the iceberg. Well, fine then. What, what are your final thoughts on the movie? Oh, sure. Last week's film, The Open House, was partly frustrating because it was almost a good movie. With a script rewrite and some trimming, it could have been massaged into a decent little thriller. But Bride of the Monster is just plain terrible. That said, it is fun to view it as one of the many inspirations for Rocky Horror. Well, there, there you have it. Listener, I realized it might be smart to let you know what next episode's movie is ahead of time so you can see it if you want to. Uh, so sorry about not telling you about Bride of the Monster 
uh, last last episode, learning curve. So, so next week we're covering David Dakota's 2000 sacrilegious homoerotic classic, Voodoo Academy. Oh, good Christ! You're gonna love it. We'll see. And we'll see you next week, listener. Turns out last week I, I didn't turn off our mics when I meant to. So I'm going to be extra careful this week and make sure that...